Hey everyone, welcome back to Soap Floor and welcome to 2022. I'm your host, Jet. We are waltzing into this year like we own the place. I hope you're having a great day. Let's go ahead and jump right into this. So this episode is actually titled Crystal's Lie. Now, naturally, after last week, I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to be found out about giving the money to Matthew, but that's not the case. So this episode, I also found it to be quite soapy. And by that, I mean, the music was a little more dramatic. The acting was more dramatic. And they put a filter on every time Crystal or Blake go into this library. Okay, so the first thing we we find Blake yelling into a gold phone. And it's got that like fuzzy sort of 1980s fuzz. I can't think of any other way of calling it, but fuzz. Like they put gasoline on the camera or whatever. And it makes everything really sexy and glossy. Well, he's holding this gold phone. And the phone is like glistening and shining, but he's yelling into it. Once again, he's having a midnight mantrum. He and Crystal are fresh out of this party. It's clearly after midnight because you see that one of the maids has to wake up to go and greet them. And he's furious. He's yelling into the phone because he just found out that Matthew Blaisdell didn't fall apart. He's actually up and running and doing well. He's trying to figure out who gave him the money, which one of his oil baron friends did. Now, Miss Crystal... (laughs) if he'd bothered to pay attention, she's nervously fidgeting and she's all but ignored. She finally tells Blake that she's certain it wasn't one of his friends because they wouldn't do that to him. They're your friends. I have a gut feeling. Gut feeling, huh? (laughs) Gut feeling is translated into, I'm certain they didn't do it because I facilitated this windfall by repurposing the jewelry you gave me in order to seduce your new enemy back into the working relationship with Now, lucky for her, Blake can't hear the subtext over his nightly tantrum. He looks at her and tells her, honey, the only friend is a dead friend, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard someone say. He says if one of his friends was down on his luck, not only would he kick him when he was down, but he would trample him 11 times out of 10. Now, after hearing this and watching Crystal, I was inspired. She's told, she's like crouching down in front of the fire, in front of her strapless dress, and she's warming her hands like she's cold. Burr, it's cold in here. It must be the betrayal in the atmosphere. I said, burr, don't get me started, y'all. Bring It On was one of the best movies ever. Don't at me. Well, thank God that she's wearing her fabulous new fur coat, a fur, darling. We finally get to break off the furs. But even the fur can't keep her from shivering. And I wonder if it's subconscious, like it's a subconscious thing. She gave away her quote unquote ice. It was a cold gesture. She's no longer warming up to Blake. She feels used. You know what I mean? Like it's a subconscious manifestation of her distancing herself from him. Because he doesn't seem to notice it's cold. No one else seems to notice. So finally he comes down from his mantrum and he tells her this little antidote about the day Stephen was born and He and his wife deciding to name him after her father instead of after Blake. And Blake has always had second thoughts about this. He wonders if Stephen is able to sense that. Like he feels like he's a reason he and Stephen are close, which he is, but not for that reason. And she tells him, no, honey, don't be silly. Of course, don't worry about it. And he's looking lovingly in her eyes. and He's like, you know what? Let's name the son, the son that you give me, we have. Let's name him Blake. We'll name him after me. And she just kind of smiled and lovingly looks into his eye. We move on. Now, another person mulling over a past decision is Claudia. She craves independence and she wants a job. She never actually went to college. And since Lindsay's a little bit older now, it seems like a good time. 
She tells Matthew this, and Matthew feels away immediately. His ego is getting the best of him. He doesn't want the world to think that he can't take care of her and Lindsay. He does it. He, he asks her, you know, how does that look if an oil man who owns a company has a wife out? I'm going to talk like him. What does that look like if a man's wife is out working for him? She's not working for him. She wants to work. That's not unreasonable. The girl's like 14, 15. So it's revealed during this time that they had Lindsay when she was 16, when Claudia was 16. Side note, we'll jump back in, but I call BS on this. If, if, Lin, if Claudia had Lindsay at 16 and Lindsay is 14, that would only make Claudia 30. I can kind of believe Claudia's 30, but Matt, nah, no way. Not today, baby. Okay, well, unbeknownst to Claudia and Matthew, Lindsay is eavesdropping from around the corner. So the remainder of the conversation might sound really bad if heard out of context. Basically, Maddie Matt tells her that he made her a mom too young and he feels like he robbed her of something. And probably because he went on to school, he became a geologist and she basically had to stop and raise the baby. Her response is that, you know, we were young and we made mistakes, meaning mistakes in their relationship not the baby but Lindsay hears this and freaks out she basically has a full meltdown and refuses to eat breakfast she goes into a full teenage tizzy and runs off okay I can't be certain now I can't be certain but I like taking creative liberties in situations like this we don't actually see her run to the next location but in my head that's what I see I picture her crying fighting back tears shuffling, running awkwardly several blocks. She wipes her face. She enters the office of vital statistics. I can't for the life of me figure out why that would be the first thing she does. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the kind of TV stuff they do. Little girl, go to school. Stay out of grown folks' business. Let me ask you something. When you were a teenager, would you skip school to go to the county clerk's office? Absolutely not. Seems to me that she could have just gone upstairs, looked in her mom's closet, and checked her baby book for the exact same information. She is so dramatic, this episode. But hey, that's what we came here for, right? If I wanted facts, I'd make them up myself like a normal person. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm fresh off of winter break and I've had my fill of kids, but my tolerance for her, dra her drama is beginning to wane as the episode goes on. Okay, so she goes to that office. She manages to get her, her behind the school where she should have been from the beginning. And then she flips out on her friend because she has deduced that the only reason her parents are together is because of her. Miss me with that, Lindsay. You mean to tell me that this is the first time you did the math? You know what? On second thought, that one episode where, what's his name? Oh, God, the episode where they kiss, where Claudia and... I can't believe I'm blanking on my favorite. Steven, that episode where they kissed, she had gone upstairs to get help with her math from her dad. So maybe she just never thought about it. But I find that really hard to believe. Like, you think, you think she'd think about it before, right? Like, at her mom's 29th birthday, if you were only 13, like, I would do the math. All right, well... Matthew goes to work, and through some minor and speedy detective work, he figures out that Brum Eddy is a saboteur. Surprise, surprise. 
he figures out that Eddie has been plucking screws from their respective locations one by one. One by one, until this oppressive and allegedly very threatening and very lucrative oil operation crumbles to the ground. Eddie won't be satisfied until this whole operation is destroyed like a fresh blowout at an East Texas 4th of July barbecue. Shout out to anyone who endures a summer in the South, Eastern portion of these United States. And I'm talking about the deep South. Oh my God. God bless you. I don't know how y'all do it. You live in an oven. You literally live in a humidifier. I don't know how you do it. God bless you. I tip my hat to you. I digress. Let's get back to it. Um, as much as I don't want to admit it, I suppose that in order to be discreet and to fly under the radar, you absolutely need to do small things like steel screws. Because that is something that could, that is easily a mistake. It's such a small thing that most people aren't going to notice. It could easily look like it just fell off. So I get it. I mean, it's actually quite brilliant. It does make me wonder, however, what other tiny objects has he been removing from the premises? Is he stealing rolls of tape? Staples. There's no telling how many paper clips have been lost in this schemery. I shudder to think about all those drilling reports and loose leaf folders bound together by nothing, nothing, perpetually shuffled into a cluster of confusion. Oh my God, the horror! The horror! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm dripping today. I've had a lot of caffeine. But the point of this conversation is that Ed is an animal. I'm just going to charge us off to soap tax. I, I just, I, I can't move past the fact that it's a screw. And again, this is a, it would be like a screw being, like if you took one screw off the door handle of like a Mack truck, who would notice that? That's not going to stop the operation. It might be a little bit inconvenient, but I doubt that. We're just going to call that soap tax and move on. So Matthew has figured it out. So he goes to the bar and he finds Rum Eddie chumming it up with all the guys. He's really having a good time. Midday, mid-drink. He's telling jokes. He's yucking it up. He's really proud of himself, probably because he's receiving double pay. So Matthew casually walks to the bar, grabs a beer, and starts a fight. Now, there's a lot of furniture moving this time because this time they've got more than seven feet of fighting space. And they utilize it. No pool table was spared. They took full advantage of chairs, tables, and hideous red carpet. I must admit, Matthew's technique this go-around was much better. Probably because he knew he was going to start the fight, so he was prepared long before he got there. Now, on the surface, this fight was between two men. One is fighting to redeem a wrong, and the other is fighting to save face. But the true battle here is between their jackets. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is a battle of the fabrics. Now, both, both are wearing members-only jacket. Matthew is wearing a leather one. Or Rum Eddie is wearing a nylon. It's leather versus nylon, natural versus synthetic, debatably breathable versus heavy and stout. One could argue that the clear advantage goes to Hennessy, Eddie, and the nylon fit. It's lightweight, it's slippery, making him impossible to grab, and it makes that undeniable sound. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of this gym teacher I had, probably like in the fifth grade. She would try to sneak up on us, but all you'd hear was, girl, bye. Anyway, I digress. Eddie's slippery. He seems to have the advantage. Eddie's punches are fast and furious-ish. Matthew, on the other hand, is in a heavy brown leather jacket. It fits him well and it moves with him. He's clearly gotten to many fights in this. 
What his jacket lacks in sound effects, it more than makes up for in absorption. Each blow to his body does little more than tenderize a hide. Plus, this is like the fifth fight he's been in in the last six weeks, so the weight of his jacket has made his blows stronger and more accurate. He even punches the barkeep at one point. Now, Ed may be slippery in nylon, but it makes no never mind once the jacket's inner lining has been grabbed. Baby. Once Matthew got a hold of the inner lining of that jacket, he beat Ed up and down that bar. And for the grand finale, he dunks Ed's head into an ice cooler. Now, after fur, he dunks his head in. Ed's head pops up from the cooler. Ed is still denying he has any involvement. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. So he dunks his head in a second time. This time he confesses, but he claims that he worked alone. Finally, after the final and longest dunk, Ed confesses that he has been working for Carrington. Satisfied and secure as in his role as that dude, he walks out of the bar slow and smooth. Once again, I took creative imaginative liberties, and in my mind, he's... <laughs> He slowly walked, he kept that pace all the way to Carrington Towers, where he burst through the double doors to confront Blake himself. I must admit, guys, I really love the way that Blake stuns everyone he talks to. Like, you know he's full of it, but he has this way of talking like Mike Brady. So he's insulting you, he's reading you for filth, but you don't really catch it. And that's exactly what he's doing in this moment. He is reading Matthew for flip. Blake is clearly unhappy with Matthew's business, so he does what any feeble-egoed narcissistic person would do when confronted with the truth. He gaslights him. When Matthew presses Blake about letting Stephen take the fall for something he knows his mole did, Blake simply calls him a hothead and gives him <laughs> my favorite, that's in quotes, my favorite insult. It's stale. It's played, it's tired, and it's very, very predictable. Any guesses? He calls him emotional. You're too emotional to run a business. Ladies, and some gentlemen, ladies, how many times have you been called emotional? Why is it that Blake can yell into a manila-colored phone, a green phone, a gray car phone, a manila-colored hotline, a gold phone, and he's still considered rational and assertive? at least to himself. The truth is, he himself is a very insecure man and very emotional, but because he has accumulated so much wealth, he's able to justify his actions, thus negating his emotional outbursts. It's not emotion, it's power. It's power coursing through my very thin, frail body. Not emotions. Not like Matthew. He's deflecting, but you know what? Matthew's right. That's it. That's all. There's no way to justify letting your kid take the fall for something that you arranged. It's trash. Now, unfortunately for Matthew, he didn't come up with any sort of witty rebuttal. So he kind of thinks a little, and then Matthew tells him that the days of the oil tycoon and oil baron are over. You've got no values, Blake. <laughs> now, Blake is far too rich and far too old to be insulted by that. And he's like, Psh, in America? Are you serious? Last time I checked, and I'm paraphrasing, guys. Last time I checked, America needs oil, so I'm good, sis. Now, certainly by this point, the weight of that leather jackboot, coupled with the fatigue from beating the brakes off a grown man and an alleged 10-mile trek in my head, it's beginning to wear on old Matty Matt. He's moving and talking slower and slower. He finally thinks of a little something, and he says, you know, and he talks with his teeth. It's, it's so annoying. Talks with his teeth and his mouth clenched. And he, move, he moves his eyebrows a lot. 
Zoe tells him, picture that. Picture some blonde guy in your face staring at you with these intense eyes. And just picture his eyebrows jumping up and down like a, like an elf. You know, elf shoes are long. Picture that j- like jump roping. That's his eyebrows. Everything you, excuse me, everything you touch is poison. You're toxic. <sighs> Not the wittiest quip, but it does the job. It gets Blake nervous. He shook and starts to show. Including my wife. That's the only thing you want, right? Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye with your honest baby blues and tell me you don't think about my wife day and night. Do that and I'll call off my dogs. And this is very interesting. Since the beginning of this season, that has been one of his major insecurities. And it's like, at this point, are you? Re- she's with you. She's clearly not going anywhere. Like, let it go. It's so weak. But you know what? He was back into a corner. Okay, now I'm not going to say too much about Fallon and Steven this week, just in case you want to watch it for yourself. I think I'm going to start leaving out a big chunk. So when you watch it, you can enjoy a couple of surprises, you know, through your own filter and not mine. I will say that Jeff has apparently been shipped to the Middle East by Uncle Cecil. And Fallon gave us a really cute monochromatic royal blue realness look. I mentioned at the beginning of this that this episode was super soapy. And again, I don't know what's going on with this library, but it's that fuzzy filter. It's it's nighttime and Crystal goes in and head to toe monochromatic silk orange. She's trying to get Blake off the phone, but he rushes her off. He's busy and she knows better at this point. She obviously knows better. But she's looking dopey-eyed and really sad, and she just leaves the library and the filter. Okay, so Stephen does drop back by the drill site because Matthew called him. He wants to give him a check for half a week's pay and a really, really weak apology from Matthew, which Stephen rightfully rejects. I'll let you watch it. I say he was right. Okay, well, let's get let's get back to Claudia. Claudia, she found a job at a bookstore, and guess who comes to see her? Eddie. Eddie comes by to say hello, fresh off the beating. This was right after the fight. He's bruised and he's battered. And (laughs) for, I'm going to take dramatic liberties here again. Let's imagine that he limped. You know, Matthew sauntered off slowly all the way to Denver Carrington. Let's say Ed limped all the way to the bookstore. But you know what? Come to think of it, how did he know she worked there? I don't even think Matthew realizes she works at this point, but Somehow Ed knew. I don't know how that works. We'll just call that. That's another soap tax. We'll let it go. Okay, so Ed has dropped by to say that he and Matthew had another fight. He doesn't like your man and he doesn't like the job. But I like you, Claudia, even though you were locked up in the loony bin. This guy is unbelievable. Now, Claudia has to get him together. She says, okay, hold up, hold up, Miss thing. Wait a minute. Don't get it twisted. I was in a hospital, baby. I ain't never, ever, ever been locked up. Get it right and talk to me nice. It reminded me of Whitney Houston, God rest her soul, I'm not making fun of her, but that whole, I have never done crack. Crack is for poor people. I did cocaine. I've, I've, excuse me, yes, it is a a loony hospital, but baby, I was never chained anything, like, get it right. Okay, understood, but this is him. This is um, old Eddie. He's like, okay, I understand, sorry about that, but it really can't be easy being married to Matthew. And it's like he leans in and he instantly turns into your old great auntie. And he's like, now, you know, he was fooling around the whole time you were in that hospital, right? Now, Claudia must have been raised in the South because she gives the verbal equivalent to, bless your heart. She says, 
Oh, Ed, you are a fine credit to the human race. You deserve a medal. And he's so dumb, he thinks it's a compliment. Well, to, you know, he didn't limp down there for nothing. He's in pain. He needs to go ice his wounds, lick his wounds. He's down one paycheck, probably two. So he tells her, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who it is? It's Crystal. You know that girl, that lady who's married to Blake Carrington? You know, you were at her house that one night, remember? That's who. Okay, bye, babe. Talk to you later, babe. Again, guys, that's my interpretation, but that's what he did. He was just so messy and very, very trifling. So later that night, when Matthew comes home, he has no idea what he's walking into. No idea that she's working, no idea that Lindsay is a mess, and no idea that she knows about his infidelity. He probably has a little feeling, but he doesn't, he's not emotionally intelligent at all, so I doubt he knows. So she tells him about the visit from Ed, only she half tells him. Says he wanted to know about orchids. She rolls over, goes to bed. Clearly she's furious, and he's only slightly aware. Okay, y'all, here comes. Let me collect myself. Meanwhile, back at the mansion, Blake goes to hang up his Armani suit or whatever in their tiny, tiny closet. And he knocks over Crystal's silk robe. I just can't understand. How are you going to have a mansion with 58 rooms and a four by three closet in the master? We'll let it go. Soap tax. Okay, so he knocks over the robe and out falls a packet of birth control pills. This is very upsetting. Blake goes downstairs to collect some fine brandy and prepares to have himself a drink or two or seven. Who knows? So later that night, Crystal and her fabulous new fur, fur darling, come home after partying with her old friends. She's in head to toe burnt orange, except for that fabulous fur. And she's kind of oblivious because she's so excited. She's oblivious to her man who is leaning like really hard to the left, fighting to sit up. The sight of her suddenly gives him the strength he needs. So he perks up and he immediately confronts her about the pills. Really tackily too. He opens the pill packet and he starts chucking them across the room. And he's like, she loves me. Picks up another pill, tosses it. She loves me not. Picks up a pill. She loves me. She loves me not. And of course, he goes into yet another mantrum. Now, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that she's on birth control because she's got to see a lot of his dark side in a really short amount of time. And it's like he doesn't get along with his kids. He's erratic. He's possessive. He's kind of a downer. And it's just not attractive. She tries to explain to him that she just needs time. Like she's not ready to have a baby right away. She wants to enjoy him. And he's like, I want that baby. And he starts complaining about his kids, you know. Even loved men, I guess he's assumed he's never going to have, you know, kids from him. Daughter is promiscuous. She sleeps with the entire football team. And who knows what you're doing behind my back. Totally blitzed out of his mind drunk. Now, Crystal, in her burnt orange silk, tries to slowly moonwalk backwards out the door like she can tell this is going south really fast. And this is about mid-rant. He sees her and he grabs her. He stops her and he tosses her on the bed. Rips her clothes like some savage caveman, and it's it's really terrible. Terrible, I tell you. The episode ends with Crystal being assaulted by her drink, her drunk, angry husband, Blake. Baby. 1981? I just, I did not expect that. I, I really thought, I don't know what I thought. I thought it would be much softer than this, but they came out swinging. Assaulted by her husband. <sighs> This is, I I would think this would be a game changer within the episodes. But again, I'm not going to predict. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm sure he'll buy or something, but 
Y'all, this is crazy. I cannot wait for next week. So let's go ahead and do our rundown. Okay, two oil rigs sabotaged. It's worth noting that one has been sabotaged at least three times at this point, all by screws less than five inches long. We're up to our to five fist fights. All but one have been facilitated by Matthew Blaisdell. One pack of dogs trained to attack a mustachioed daddy. One count of blackmail, one count of bribery, one idle threat, four accents. Half a slap. We still haven't had a genuine slap. This is so surprising to me. Unless I missed it. I don't think I have. To memory, I don't think there's been a slap. One full stare down standoff. Two marriages, four forbidden kisses. I'd like to give an honorable mention for Michael's race for being reckless and the seven monochromatic outfits we've seen thus far. The four mantrams, all facilitated by Blake Carrington. And this episode, I would like to honor Lindsay Blaisdell as the most dramatic person in the show. She made the most of her three scenes and she gave me angst. She gave me pain and sorrow and fear. And she made it to school, not on time in my mind, but she held that anger all day. You know how mad you have to be to be mad all day and then flipped out on her friend because, because her parents have been married for 15 years because of me. My God, the horror, Lindsay. Good job, baby. Okay, our diamonds and jewels. We haven't had any new jewels, and we know one set has fallen. The emeralds are gone. That's that's Matthew Blaisdell's business now. And the blue oval earrings are still there. I'm I'm assuming she's gonna get some more jewelry. He can't not give her anything after that. Okay, in this episode, the wildest card, I'm gonna blip out the other wild cards for a minute. The wildest card in this episode has to be the birth control pill. I hope she remembered to take it that morning. Ladies and gentlemen. Blake isn't a wild card. I thought about giving him that today, but he's not a wild card. He's an animal. Just like Cecil said, he's dangerous and he's reckless. And it won't be long before there's blood in the water or whatever, you know, villains say. I don't know. But he's been preaching this for a while that if they smell weakness, they'll get me. So it's a mix of him being paranoid and a little bit of the truth, I think. But unfortunately, I have to give Cecil props. I think the advice that he gave Crystal was honest advice. Like, your man is slipping. He's losing it because he's been in front of the practice so long. So doesn't matter. Hope you have something to ponder on. I hope you're having a great rest of the week. And I'll talk to you guys next time.